0: Granger, for the ones who get it done. Upon hearing that the Whig Party had chosen William Henry Harrison as their presidential nominee, the Democrats, those who were hoping for the re-election of President Martin Van Buren, were jubilant. old man who last fought a battle against the Indians 28 years ago? At 67, he'd be the oldest president ever. Washington retired at 65 after two terms. Giddy, the Baltimore Republican newspaper, which, just to confuse you, was a Democratic newspaper, printed an attack. Why, Harrison, they said. Just give him a pension worth 2000 a barrel of hard cider, and he'll sit in a log cabin wasting the time drinking all day. In other words, he was feeble, too feeble to be the chief magistrate. That, uh, didn't work too well for President Van Buren. The Whigs had some serious campaign minds in their effort. Henry Clay of Kentucky, Thurlow Weed of New York. They saw the way to respond immediately. Forget, of course, that William Henry Harrison was the descendant of Virginia aristocracy, the descendant of a signer of the Declaration of Independence, and that he grew up in a mansion. Forget all that. As far as voters needed to know, he was born in a log cabin, just like the opponents said. And if it made him president... Just say he built it with his bare hands, by God. The New York Daily Whig countered. They think that a poor man who lives in a log cabin cannot be President of the United States. And the issue was born. So what if our man was a hard cider drinker? That's what Americans drink. What did President Van Buren drink, then? Champagne? That's right, he did. And so... It began, in every wig rally there would be a log cabin of some form, maybe a little wooden trinket, maybe a larger model that you could see on a table, or one that you could mount onto a pole in your parade, or even a real log cabin that you could walk into and hear about how great the Whigs would be if they got into the White House, all while you were served hard cider, and plenty of it, perhaps served in a canoe cup celebrating the Battle of the Indian Wars prior to the War of 1812 that, at least the Whigs said, was a complete victory. There was debate about that, actually, about Harrison's role in it, but no matter. To man the ship, the Whigs said, we'll take old tip. In New York, newspaper editor Horace Greeley attacked the president, Van Buren, and saluted old tip. In Illinois, the ablest lawyer in Springfield, Abraham Lincoln, stumped the state, supporting Harrison as a Whig presidential elector, urging voters to create a bank of the United States for the common man to get credit. Oh, but it couldn't be all business. You needed songs, too. Tippecanoe and Tyler Too sheet music was sent around the country, a way of getting the word out about the ticket, and working in the name of the vice presidential candidate, John Tyler. Tippecanoe and Tyler II, a recent convert to the Whig cause, and picked mostly to win Virginia. There were other songs, too. The Grand Log Cabin March, the Tippecanoe Quick Step, it was a ceaseless torrent of music, one Democrat said after the election. I'll never forget those songs. If a Democrat tried to speak about separating banks from the state or some important issue facing the nation, it was met with singing. Now, prior to this election, only two incumbent presidents had been defeated. John Adams and his son, John Quincy. Four presidents had been reelected, Two-thirds. So, an incumbent president was strong, and Van Buren controlled the White House patronage, a New York political machine, and had the backing of popular former President Andrew Jackson. In 1836, when Whigs tried to run four candidates against Van Buren and throw the election to the House of Representatives to win, he beat them decisively. So, Van Buren was strong, yet he had some problems. The panic of 1837 gripped the country. It was severe. Banks and businesses were ruined. And it hadn't gotten quite better by the time of his election year. Plus, he was struggling to hold his party together. Agitations at this time twenty years before the Civil War were strong, and as a New Yorker, every time Van Buren reached out to the Southerners he would need to win re election, or even renomination, he hurt himself with abolitionists in his home state. This particularly hit home when the slave ship Amistad crashed on American shores, and slaves asked for their freedom. But it was a Spanish ship. By treaty had to be returned. Van Buren was in a pickle. If he gave the ship back to the Spanish per the treaty requirements, he made Southerners happy. If he allowed them into the United States, he would make abolitionists happy and anger Southerners. So he kicked the issue to the courts. And he felt that if he just allowed a trial, people would salute him. Actually, it angered both sides of his fragile coalition. In Pennsylvania, he had the governor. David Rittenhouse Porter, who, although a Democrat, was for paper money and high tariffs, anti-positions of the administration, who compromised from time to time with Whigs and split the Democratic Party in Pennsylvania. Despite the efforts of peacemaker James Buchanan to patch up the two sides, he did get one of Porter's judges appointed by President Van Buren and did get Porter to make some positive statements about Van Buren The state was still deeply divided. But when Democrats got united and tried some messages, Whigs turned everything around. Less talk, more cider, they screamed. They took the president's nickname, OK, old kinderhook, and reversed it to say, he will be KO'd. They sang, Van is a used-up man. The Democrats eventually tried to respond to this silliness, serving dark ale, and calling themselves Porter Bottle Democrats. They made fun of supporters of old tip. They called them tiplers, all right. They might tip over. Look at Harrison's last name, they said. Backwards, it was No Sirrah. It was funny, and it does kind of demonstrate how politics was then, and put some perspective on politics today, but that didn't catch on like the Whig slogans did. And their sheet music just wasn't as catchy. One observer predicted, Soon each party will behave like a circus, with marching bands of music, dancing folks, clowns with pink noses, and lofty tumbling. More people were participating in that circus than ever before. The 1830s saw legislation in many states that brought about an increase in popular voting. 2.4 million people would vote in that 1840 election, more than ever. And when it came to the choice of the challenging candidate, it's not so much who the Whig Party ran that the thirsty voters took a liking to, but it's also who they did not run. They didn't run Daniel Webster, the Massachusetts orator. He was too offensive to Southern Whigs. They didn't run, though every inch of his body ached for it. They didn't run. Henry Clay. He had lost in 1832 and made a few enemies in a speech in the House, attacking abolitionists for causing so much trouble and compromising with Southerners, but also making compromises that Southerners didn't like. And there was that stint as Secretary of State under John Quincy Adams, which many felt was manipulative and a corrupt bargain made him look less than the most popular of the Whigs or the Patriot Party. Harrison had obtained the most votes of three candidates running in 1836, and he had no role in government. Thus, he could not be blamed for anything like that Panic of 37 that happened in Washington. Indeed, Nicholas Biddle, former Bank of the United States president, thought that Harrison was great because, well... He had no connection to him, to Biddle, or his bank. Finding someone who had not been financed by Biddle at all was hard to find in American wiggery. But Biddle did advise that Old Tip should not say one word about his principles or his creed. Very modern type advice, right? Let the use of ink be wholly prohibited, he said, as if he were the mad poet of Bedlam. Well, the Van Puren supporters started to pick up on this little trick, and they attacked candidate Harrison now as the silent man, General Mum, they called him, the man in the iron cage. These attacks by the Van Buren folks did start to cut a bit. So the Whigs decided to open up their candidate. They let Harrison do a stump campaign. Of course, he kept it to audiences that were friendly, and his speeches were on very general topics. Now the Democrats attacked him for doing this. How uncouth. A man taking the stump for the presidency, speaking on his own behalf. These attacks were contradictory, and they didn't really work. Voters agreed with putting the ship in the hands of old Tip. 22 states said so. Whigs captured Virginia, New York, Pennsylvania, which had been solid Jacksonian and Van Buren states previously. Now they went to the Whigs. Harrison was president.